Thank you so much for coming to uh, my empowering podcast. And I'm so delighted to welcome Professor Anne Kenny, consultant geriatrician in uh, St. James's Hospital in Trinity College, my alma mater. And uh, Professor Kenny has written a fantastic book that she's going to tell us all about. But first of all, Roseanne, would you mind starting by saying what made you go into medicine and how did you go into geriatrics? Tell us, tell us your story. So medicine, um, well, when I was going to college, uh, when I was going to school and then to college, you know, there was, if you were thinking of going to college, there were a handful of subjects or, or yeah. topics that you were going to pick. And mm -hmm. I remember getting my leaving search results and sitting in the front room at home and sort of saying to myself, oh gosh, I can do law or architecture or medicine or veterinary here. And I kind of gave myself five or 10 minutes and I thought, well, I'll do medicine. Um, yeah. my, my and my and the family was in. Go on, keep doing Yeah, that. my dad and his four brothers were, oh, were, were doctors. So I kind yeah. of knew something about that and I didn't know an awful lot about anything else, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. And at the time, I have to definitely, in my opinion, I was certainly not, and I don't think our generation were nearly as pressurized about choices of subjects and mm -hmm. competitiveness Absolutely. of university, etc. that I see in my own children mm -hmm. and see in mm -hmm. young students I encounter yeah, okay. in, in college. Yeah, the stress levels are horrendous. So mm. you went on then to do medicine. Mm -hmm. And what made you decide to, to um, do geriatrics, which is, is uh, treating older people? Yeah, so um, during when I was doing medicine, after I yeah. qualified in Galway, I pretty I left uh, pretty soon. With the Galway that. accent we're hearing, Roseanne, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, I was a Galway NYG. Yeah. As then was UCG, and I'm a very yeah. proud alumni of, of, of Galway. I'm, I'm very supportive and loyal to Galway. Well and after I graduated, I went to London and I went to what was then the Hammersmith Hospital in London is now the Royal, Royal Postgraduate Medical School, part of yeah. Imperial. And I uh, trained there, did a rotation in general medicine there. And during my rotation there, part of that was geriatric medicine. I absolutely loved it. I just liked the holistic approach. I loved yeah. the multidisciplinary approach. I yeah. liked the egalitarian team spirit, you know, that you yes. work closely with other disciplines such as physiotherapy yes. and social work and occupational therapy. And yes. I liked the joined up thinking between what was happening in acute medicine and the support structures and necessary, etc., for continuation of independence in the community. I loved that whole that whole um, joined up thinking, uh, which was quite innovative at the time. The only specialty really that was close to that at the time with that sort of holistic approach was probably rheumatology. Yes, it's also exactly. very multidisciplinary. Yes, so yeah. that really appealed to me. And in the Hammersmith, the the Department of uh, Geriatric Medicine, as it was then, was was really good and really progressive. Mm -hmm. And I worked with a chap called Professor Hodkinson, Malcolm Hodkinson, who yes. was the first to start exploring age-related biochemical changes and what might be underlying substrates for that. So, mm -hmm. um, so that really was what inspired me to do it, and I've never regressed it for one moment since. Yeah. You know, Fantastic. And of course, you also have come on at a great time when we're all living longer. And of, and of course, people want to see how we can live healthier and longer. Isn't that right? I, mean, I think year on year, um, we're getting older by two points. We're living longer by two and a half uh, years for every 10 years. That's that's remarkable. And that's been mm -hmm. so since the early 1800s, as far mm -hmm. as we can ascertain. It's very linear. It doesn't seem to be 
um, attenuated at all that relationship, maybe with the exception of the UK, where it's a bit more muted recently. Mm -hmm. And that's probably because of socioeconomic difficulties in the UK, at least that's what it's been ascribed to. But so that's a remarkable change. I think today's 50 year old, without a question of doubt, or even today's 60 year old or today's 70 year old, very different to a couple of generations ago, very different outlook. And yeah. we, we, we're, you know, the baby boomers who yes. want independence, who yeah. want to understand their biology, who want information that will allow, enable, enable them, empower them to control their biology, their pace of, of, of aging and quality of life. And they're a vocal group, and that's coupled with new exposures to informative technologies through social media, etc., which yeah. have revolutionized our Absolutely. access. Fantastic. And your tilde, tell us about the tilde, because you got involved in the tilde and then we're going to move on and talk about the book, Roseanne. Tell us about the tilde project that you're so tilde, doing. Tilde is the Irish Longitudinal Study on Ageing. And I spent uh, over 21 years in the United Kingdom yes, working there between, in London and then in Newcastle upon Tyne. And, and then I came back to Ireland to... Um, to to establish an institute for aging in Trinity and St. James's Hospital, which we've done, um, thanks to the generous philanthropic support of Atlantic Philanthropies. Brilliant. And uh, as part of that process, I had been involved in a longitudinal follow-up study in Newcastle looking at brain health after stroke. And uh, I, when I came here, I was looking to replicate some of that work and looking for longitudinal data sets that, that one mm. could explore with respect to that. Mm. And also trying to inform some of the policy decisions that we were um, uh, putting together as a case of need for the Institute. And mm. I found that there was almost no age-related data that was representative in Ireland. That the, the departments of finance and health mm-hmm. and social welfare, as it was at the time, were using uh, data sets from Scotland mm-hmm. to um, to inform Irish policy and therefore practice. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, with colleagues, really some great colleagues from different specialties like social sciences and economics, etc. In Trinity, mm-hmm. we established the Tilda study, and I've led it ever since, and we're into our um 12th year of follow-up now we did four years of piloting okay uh, resource from atlantic philanthropies to support that but also uh, the department of health were strong supporters and irish life actually gave us a unconditional philanthropic gift which made a huge difference with leveraging both the philanthropic support of atlantic mm. philanthropies and government support so that's how i got involved and fantastic strength to strength it's a brilliant study as we speak there are probably about 65 researchers but it's also um we archived the data Mm-hmm. every every two every two years which is when we mm-hmm. collect the new data and and make uh, anonymized um, archived data available to researchers all over Ireland and I know in Limerick for example that yes, the number yes. of the students there are using the data sets and uh, it's, so it's certainly being used nationally in, in all of the universities in Ireland and 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 other, by other uh, scholars in Ireland but the, I, our last count there were, were something like 800 other institutions institutions around the world um, using our data to do comparative work with, okay. with their own countries. So what nuggets have you for us? And obviously this you've put these into the book, haven't you, Rosanne? What was the idea that, for writing the book? I mean, you've brought out a book recently, which is fantastic. I don't know where you got the time to do it, but 
what was the reason you were, we were talking about it before this podcast, what was the reason that you did it? So, um, so we've, we've published over 500 papers, just our group with respect mm. to Tilda, and we're part of a family of what of longitudinal studies on aging now worldwide, where there are 27 countries um, who collect very similar core data. And then we all have our own little flavor or nuance. And yeah. our one in, in Ireland would be, we're, we're, I would say we're pretty much leading the field in the studies with respect to health, the health assessments and the depth of our health assessments. So we, we collected all of that data. We did all of these analyses. Our wonderful researchers had written papers, etc. There were five or 600 of these. Um, and the whole point about doing research is to try and get it out into the public domain as soon as possible so that you can share it with the people that it, it is impacting on and yes. matters with. So we, we share a lot with policymakers. And I think there are something like 150 policy documents which have cited the TILDA data, but it was getting it to the core of the Irish people. So what we did was we coupled with the GAA, uh, which was a hugely successful operation, and we, we hit rural. Ireland yeah um, and I and that's how I start the book actually just explaining that the first yeah. night was a was a lecture in I won't say where somewhere in the Midlands and it was an absolutely pouring wet night it was a Monday night I could hardly see um when, when driving to this to this venue and when I got to the hotel it was freezing cold and the po the powerpoint didn't work and oh and there was nothing right about it and there was nobody there and I thought no my god this is a crazy idea but then the whole stuff started to fill and it started to fill and fill and fill and busloads of people were just emptied out into the hall from all around the 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 the, the, uh, the catchment area yes. of this town yes. and a couple of Garthi had taken the night off and gone to residential homes and ferried um, older residents into this meeting young people from the GAA with their young families they were all there Incredible. with Pam McGuire and Leah McCart cups there people were getting photographs taken the local the local school band started to play the local GAA health clubs were, were started to serve tea and coffee and suddenly the place was absolutely bubbling. <laughs> and then after that night that night really inspired me and I thought my god I drove home in the same wet dark night and I thought that is one of the most enjoyable experiences I have ever had yeah. because afterwards I spent a lot of time speaking to people who were in the hall there were probably about 250 people there and so many people said to me they'd never been to a lecture before now this is in a hotel that we were yes, holding yes. they'd never been to a lecture except for a sermon for <laughs> so God's sake. The tea yes. which I enjoyed yeah. Anyway, a lot of them asked me then and in the other towns um, that we did around Ireland, um, you know, have you written it down anywhere? Have you got this information? Because I kind of gave a skeleton lecture which on which the book is based, really. Good, good. Of all of our research and that of other longitudinal studies. And then um, COVID hit. We'd done about eight counties when COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And two weeks into COVID, I broke my leg badly skiing and my arm. So I was actually out of function for about three to four months. Like I was in a wheelchair because I couldn't use my oh, hand or no. my leg. So, so no, I needed to do something. And I thought, oh, wow, this is brilliant. This is my opportunity. So I wrote it while I was off that time. Good and, and it's, yeah, and it was great. I would never have had the chance to do it. Ex well, if, if but I what strikes me about the book, Roseanne, is it's very conversational. And as a doctor to try and put it across in layman's terms is difficult, but you've managed to do that very well. 
you, you've really yeah, done a great job I, I in, in so communicating. Have, yeah, I've enjoyed doing that actually. Yes, yeah. And I, I, I do believe really that if you understand a topic, you should be able to make it very clear to everybody what you're speaking about. And yes, that's yes. that's a, a, no matter what the topic is. So I enjoyed there was a challenge for me to make mm. sure that I knew what I was talking about when I was translating um, what, what was to be the content of the book into something mm. that was clear and evidence based, because I have about 100 references in each of the chapters. They're all at the end, so they don't disturb the flow, of, the flow of it. It's yeah. all referenced very, very carefully. Yes. Um, and and uh, then the challenge to me was to take translate the science into something that was clear and understandable. And yeah. I enjoyed doing that, actually. Good on you. I mean, did you find it hard to condense it, is it Roseanne, or was it hard oh, to Oh, yeah. I mean, my first draft was about twice as long as the current draft. And that was the that was the next challenge then to distill it right down to the core, to the core uh, topic. Fantastic. I thought it was amazing when when I read that we can control 80% of our aging biology. Mm. And twenty percent is only controlled by genes. I, yeah. I was alarmed by that. I yeah, couldn't... no, I think that's a it's a very common yeah. uh, misconception. You know that it's yeah. all about genes, and it's yeah. not actually. Eighty percent is within our control, which that's wonderful news. Incredible, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, now, and if you if you get beyond eighty, yes. then then the some of the longevity genes kick in are now relevant. You okay. know, so if you've got brothers and sisters who are in their 90s or mid 90s or even 100 yeah. and you make it to 80, then there then the contribution of genes is probably 35 percent to you living to okay. 90 or 100 okay. as well. But yeah. up to that, it's got to do with, as you said, the 80 percent. So you said have a good laugh. Laughter mm. keeps you young. Boost mm. endorphin levels mm. is form of exercise. Mm. Stress once a day. That was that. That was one thing that you said. De-stress once a day was. Oh a bit yeah, 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 yeah. And how do I you? I mean, laughter is a de-stressor, so that's yeah. all kind of tied to the same neural humor. Yeah. Um, so laughter isn't just an exercise for the diaphragm and the intercostal muscles, yeah. etc. Because if it's a kind of a, it's a breath holding type exercise, but it's also a de-stressor. It it it's associated with much lower levels of cortisols and adrenaline, and. Mm -hmm. um, but both of which are part of the stress system. And, and it also slows heart rate and lowers blood pressure and therefore through its cortisol effects um, influences blood glucose and insulin levels. So, so la laughter, uh, and we know this. Diabetes. Probably. Well, we know this intuitively. <laughs> yes, exactly. With friends yeah. And you have yes. a good laugh. Yes. You yeah. feel better. You do, yeah, you do. Absolutely, yeah, you do. It makes us all feel great. But, but the important thing is it also slows the pace of ageing because yeah. of its impact on those stress-related pathways. Amazing. It's incredible, isn't it, how it mm. all links back to hormones and how it controls. It's incredible. Mm. Standing on one leg, how does that help us, Rosanna? Standing on one leg. Yeah, no, so, um, well, it's, it's circuitous, really. Um Falls are a big deal as we get older. You know, it's the one okay. thing that, uh, you know, if you have a bad fall, mm. that, and I, gosh, I appreciate this after my fractures from my skiing accident. Yes. But, but if, you, if you have a bad fall, it does knock you back. And yes. the older you are, the more a fall is going to impact on your quality of life and your subsequent independence yes. and, and well-being. So if you can prevent falls, really important. So three right. things control our balance. And if your balance is poor, 
you're likely to fall. That's one of the biggest yes. risk factors. Yes, of course. Yes. Control it. Our eyes, our vision. Yes. Our proprioceptors, which are sensors in our feet and in our joints in the lower yes. limbs, particularly. Like your kind of give us where we are in space. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. the other thing is the balance center in the ears, which, which yes. travels to the brain. So those three um, uh, functions, vision, the balance center in, in the middle ear to the brain and proprioceptions control balance. Yes. Now, uh, in younger folk, you know, a third, a third, a third of our balance is controlled by those three parameters. But as we get older, mm. unfortunately, proprioception and the balance center, their, their ability to control balance can decline. Okay. And the okay. way to test whether your balance is declining with age before you have the fall is close your eyes so that takes away vision and that's a really good test of how good therefore are is my proprioception and my balance center. yes yes and if you can't stand with on one leg with your eyes closed for 10 seconds then you're over reliant on vision okay and you need to start working on your balance and a way of working on your balance is practicing standing on one leg and then the other leg for 30 seconds every day. Washing your teeth. If you can wash your teeth and stand on each leg for 30 seconds, that's pretty good. I love the way you make it realistic because in this busy life of ours, we need it to be put down to that, Roseanne. That, that's very, very good. Excellent. Yeah. A cold shower every morning, Roseanne? Yeah, I do this myself. So this is fascinating science. And this has yeah. been shown both in vitro and laboratory experiments, in animal experiments and in human experiments. Yeah. So what it does is it's kind of like giving a shock to the system. Mm -hmm. okay? And it's really good, again, for the same um, hormonal, endorphin, neurological pathways that, that we're talking about mm -hmm. with stress reduction, etc. But by giving a shock, to the system through this process of hormesis. And it can be anything. It can be just a sudden drop in oxygen or yeah. a, a blast of x-rays, yeah. neither of which are obviously safe for humans, yeah. or yeah. a cold water shock. That actually triggers positive okay. activity, not just in the pathway influenced by the cold water, but yeah. in a number of other biological pathways in the cell, which are beneficial to ridding the cell of toxins. So okay. hormesis is, a, is well, it's been known for a long time. And even the Romans did yeah. cold water dipping after their yes, they uh, did. Yeah. In, yeah, in, yeah. In, in, in their thermal spas. So, okay. and likewise, um, hot water exposure triggers thermal proteins, which are also beneficial to cell function. So hot water first and then your cold shower to finish yeah, off. Well, by hot water, I mean kind of spa, sauna, yeah. that sort of thing, that okay. level of, of heat. Yeah. So, so it's okay for people to have their warm shower first and then do what? If, Actually, um, that's better. Yes. You get your yeah. and bobs done in the, in the warm shower and it's even more of a shock when you told on cold, cold water. <laughs> and what's interesting is... What's yes. interesting is it doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't seem yeah. to matter how long you spend under the cold shower. It's just being being there. So start with, you know, 10 seconds, then 20 seconds, then 30. If you can get up to standing under a cold shower for a minute, that would be brilliant. Fantastic. So great hormones release after that. Fabulous. Yeah. The, the, the yoga, obviously, that ties in very much with the balance, doesn't it, uh, Rosanna, to, to do yes, yoga? Yes, it does. And yeah. de-stressing. It's, it's, yes. So the nice thing about yoga is it combines 
um, you know, muscle strengthening, muscle toning, etc., with almost meditation, mindfulness type yes. processes. That's why yoga is so very, very good. And again, there's an awful lot of uh, good literature, particularly coming from India on the benefits mm. of yoga on telomeres, for example, which are the, yes. kind of the protective end of chromosomes. And mm. the, the shorter one's telomere, the more accelerated aging. Yeah. And yoga has been shown to actually slow down the shortening of telomeres, for example. Fantastic. And how often would you have to do it a week, Roseanne, to, to benefit? We don't know that. Um, mm. Definitely the more frequently the better it is for the system. Okay. But, you know, you ha one has to be pragmatic. You have to take your life into consideration. Uh, in what sense yeah. So I would say twice a week. I, I think if you can meditate even from for two to five minutes every morning mm -hmm. and every evening, that's not a huge chunk out of no. the day. No, and that's not. very beneficial. And then yoga, if possible, once or twice a week. Yeah. Okay, very good. And meditation does the same thing to the hormones, doesn't it? It's the yes, very it same. does. It's really good. Oh, and it reduces yeah. blood pressure and slows heart rate, all of which are good. Some animals actually have, are, have it's been shown, have a limited uh, number of, of heart beats. And once they've once they've reached that number, that's him. That 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 trick, you know, they, they, yeah. they die. Now, we don't actually have evidence to suggest that that is the case for okay. humans. Yes, yes. We do know that people who have slower heart rates live longer and healthier Absolutely. which um, i am thank god yeah there's a lot to yeah. the, the cardiovascular benefits therefore of yoga yoga possibly in that context with aging very good those the, those um, brain pictures with meditation where you see the differences before and after are fantastic aren't they yes it, it yeah. really shows all the yeah. benef yeah. benefits of it the the other one the blue lights um you know turning off the blue light phone an hour before bed that's really important you need to get on the the, the first news with that Roseanne because that's a big problem nowadays so I put the following to you and I'm sure it will be familiar to you unfortunately it's very familiar to me hmm. and I've really had to struggle to curtail it you're in bed at night, you have the phone and you think, OK, I am not looking at my blue lights or I'm just going to just have a quick look just to check this one thing. Mm -hmm. And an hour later, you're still scrolling through the phone. Absolutely. And that's not good. That, we, we, we have evolved uh, with yellow light predominantly uh, during yes. our evolutionary history. Yeah. Blue light's very, very recent. Yes. Um, and a blue light is bad for the suprachiasmic nucleus, which controls mm -hmm. our cellular circadian rhythms mm -hmm. and for mel melatonin levels. Melatonin is sort of our intrinsic sleeping tablet, mm -hmm. which yes. rises, peaks three to four hours after we um, go to bed. So, mm -hmm. uh, so if you're, if you're uh, inhibiting melatonin mm -hmm. release mm -hmm. and confusing the suprachiotic nucleus by by um by blue light then mm. you, you do get sleep disruption sleep disturbances um, oh, and yeah. also obesity is more likely uh, with with um uh, frequent blue light use because okay. the circadian rhythms are very closely aligned not just with sleep but yes. with our um eating habits Fantastic. Gosh. And we, and the other thing is, have you found discovered how much sleep we need? You know, the way we've all been taught. Yeah, no, much... actually, we've nice stuff from Tilda, one of my researchers, yeah. Siobhan Scarlett, who has shown that we need uh, more than seven and less than nine. So between seven and nine is OK. 
for brain health and cardiovascular health. And does that change as we age or does it, because you know, older people often don't need as much as, is it? Well, well, it's said they don't need as much. Actually, what happens is our sleeping patterns change as we get older. And um, sometimes we find it harder to fall asleep or yeah. we get have disrupted sleep for various reasons during the night. So I've actually gone through this in quite a bit of detail in the book because mm. sleep is grossly underestimated. And there are a number of foods which will disrupt sleep. Yes, caffeine. I mean, like it or not, alcohol yeah. isn't great for most of us. It does interrupt the pattern and association between non-REM sleep and REM sleep, which are an important cycle. Um, There are foods which can help us sleep, Mm. you know, with tryptophan and serotonin, et cetera. And bananas and stuff, yes. And things like Chianti red wines at night, that's full of tyramine. Um, Yes. Tyramine is a stimulant, so are blue cheeses, so are, um, you know, salami and everything like that. So so, tyramine high foods will interrupt sleep. has shown is that we all need seven to nine hours and even when yeah. we're aging really for brain health that's actually adequate you know we should be doing that all the time should we, yeah. that's what yeah. we seven and not more than nine so no so even yeah. so it was interesting there was a the you know j-shaped association so so less than seven or more than nine were both associated with um, faster cognitive impairment, memory problems, and concentration problems uh, over the over the years that we followed people up than people okay. who were within the seven to nine window. Okay, and what about you know patients who are on sleeping tablets? There was this big thing. You know, some people they just can't sleep and they're on something to help them sleep. Or a lot of people are taking melatonin hours. And yeah, melatonin's any- good. Melatonin's been approved by the FDA. For yes, years, yes. Used by people over the age of fifty. They've approved good. it for two years use. Good. Consistently. Um, Research-wise, does it help with the brain? Or well, well as we get older, our melatonin um, doesn't respond as rapidly when we go to bed, yes. and it doesn't reach the peak levels of twenty and thirty-year-olds, for example. Exactly. So exactly. I have no, I actually don't see any downside, and the evidence would suggest that this is a reasonable approach in mm. taking melatonin at night. And and I I I, I remember meeting a a um, cell biologist and an animal. Bi- uh, yeah, yeah. researcher in Madrid once um, and he was taking a, a seriously large amount of melatonin every night because that was what he had done his years and years of research research on and he yes. was absolutely convinced yes. that it had decelerated his animal work and he was a very famous chap had published extensively yeah. on this and he was extrapolating the animal work to human work human work yes flowing agent of course we've done appreciate yeah. in humans it takes a long time to actually discover exactly. is this having any impact or, or not exactly so, exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And, oh, and had he a good brain? And has he still got a good brain? Well, He'd be I, have to say, I did. I did look at him and think, I'm not sure it's having much of <laughs> And I suppose menopause. Uh, are you doing much on that whole? Because women, obviously, are menopause. Yeah. So, so much on that. Menopause. Uh, we've asked about symptoms and age of men and menopause, yes. etc. And we know whether people are taking HRT. There is actually interesting emerging work that um, taking HRT influences the biological clocks. We can actually measure biological aging using clocks. Now, it's not 
as accurate in people over 50 as it is yeah. in 30 and 40 year olds the, yes. the clocks to date but we started three years ago with three clocks and now we've 17 that i know of and i know there are you know twice that number about yeah. to to come on to the um, scientific stage so okay. everybody is now looking at clocks they're what we call cbg sites on yes. dna and um, which become methylated and it's the level of methylation is, is what's measured yes. in order to ascertain a biological clock mm -hmm. um, and basically um, we we know from that um, melatonin etc makes a difference to those yes. clocks Wow, wow, because that's one area that, as you know, Roseanne, we're only now, you know, menopause is getting a, a certain airing, uh, but menopause, as I keep saying, was, isn't just around, it was there for generations, but I think women are now, you know, coming into medicine and we're discussing women's issues, and I think it's lovely, and it's great that you are also looking at that in these studies, because, you know, how many studies, for example, the diabetic studies, very little women were, were actually studied in these studies, so now they're trying to make them more gender-based. But I think it's really important to look at HRT with yes. a different lens and, the, and yes. looking at clocks on HRT exactly. is, is, is a new lens, you know, new lens. Exactly. Slows down the aging process. I mean, if exactly. that is, if that data, that preliminary data is correct, then that's a whole new important reason for um, giving HRT. HRT, yeah, absolutely. And the, the one that I found interesting was eat within eight hours. You know, that one. Yeah, uh, this is brilliant. That's really so, brilliant. So yeah. this is caloric restriction. Now, th this, is, this is actually become incredibly topical. Um, yeah. And there are a number of ways that you can apply caloric restriction. And really, you need to get right what's best for you. But yeah. One of them is eating within an eight hour window, which is equivalent to a 16 hour fast. fast. So okay. Lovely animal work has actually shown that if you give two sets of rats yeah. the same amount of food, but allow set one to eat the food within eight hours and set two can go, can work away on the food over a 24 hour period. Yes. Set two get fat. Those okay. who had it over a 24 hour period, but the eight hour period, uh, period eating fat rats don't. So that, and it's, and it's well, well established now in humans that caloric restriction impacts on major cellular um, nutritional pathways. Amazing. I, I found that fascinating, that whole thing, because we've all been, there's all this diet and, and some of it is evidence-based, some is not. But I think that really was empowering just to, to see the reason. And when, when you tell us that it affects our cells, we really listen, don't we? Yeah. You know, because that, that sort of really is bringing it home about yeah. aging, isn't it? That, that, yeah. that was incredible. I know I, I just, I found that fascinating when, when I said that. The other thing, how did you come around the, the title of the book? That's so difficult, Roseanne, to decide how, how did you come around that title? There were so many well, times you could One cover. of the areas that we've been researching uh, with some of some of our um, senior fellows uh, in Trinity, Colin McCrory particularly, and Christina McGarrigal, is aging perceptions. Yes and, yes, and we've shown that actually your biological aging is influenced by how you perceive yourself aging. In other words, you are as young as you feel. And I started with that. I thought I want the book to be called As Young As You Feel. But yes. actually, I have a wonderful publishers in London, Bonnier, and, yes. and they put this to their team and they came up with Age Proof and I loved it. when. They oh, I think it's mm. fantastic. It's very catchy and it just, mm. yeah, it really is. And I suppose the thing is like, you know, the Queen is 90, what, she's going 96. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're now realising people are living longer, but yeah. we all want to live healthy and, and yeah. it's 
to prevent. And have you, what sort of, have you found anything out on how to prevent dementia? I mean, we know there's a few, but why, are you studying that at all, Rosanna? Yeah, I mean, everything that I talk about that slows the pace of aging, slows the pace of physical and brain aging. Mm-hmm. Now, um, there are a number of things in middle life which are really important to be aware of. And one of them is management of blood pressure mm-hmm. proper, in terms of preventing dementia. Exactly. And another is just being aware of any irregularities of the heart, atrial fibrillation, even transient atrial fibrillation. That's that's mm-hmm. really important. Managing obesity. Obesity is a risk. As it's, it's connected, so, yeah, especially with dementia, as is diabetes. Uh, but yeah. one thing which is lovely and which we don't give enough of emphasis to is social engagement and friendships and the quality of friendships and interactions that actually affects cognitive function and right. dementia. Yes. So, yes. so loneliness, loneliness is associated with much higher rates of dementia than people who've got good supportive social networks. Okay. And okay. Are, are, are engaged. Okay. And it, in whose lives there is variety. Variety is terribly important, but that's kind of all tied up with social engagement and friendships okay. and laughter, etc. They're all, they're all, they all interact too. And that's all going back to what we spoke about earlier, which is the good laugh and how it helps with the whole signaling yeah. pathways and the hormones, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, it's that, that that's incredible. And the suppose the other thing I was going to say the um so so the brain health and also the heart yeah that's all connected isn't it brain and uh, brain and heart health yeah, that, yeah that's incredible. And what other things have you found out and uh, no goods have you found out about aging? So we've spoken about um the, the having, having a the, purpose, believe it or not, matters. Yes. Having a purpose in life. The the countries, uh, the areas of the world, the blue zones where people live. I was going to talk about the blue yeah, zone. Did you look at that at all? The yeah. Highest, yeah, the highest proportion of people live into their late 90s and 100, but they just don't live longer proportionately than other areas of the world. Mm. They live well without diseases such as Alzheimer's and yes. high blood pressure or heart disease. I mean, that's huge. That's massive. massive. So, so, so researchers have gone in depth to those blue zones to understand what is different about the blue zones. And a few things are different. Mm. First of all, they're all on a height. Okay? Yeah. Secondly, yeah. they're all by the sea. Yes. Thirdly, the communities are dense. And by that, I mean, one researcher was sitting in in a kitchen in Sardinia, which is one of the blue zones. Mm -hmm. um, And the the man she was um, questioning or or, uh, Mm. researching was over 100. And Mm -hmm. she said his his kitchen was like a railway station. People were coming and going all of the time. And it was this tight village in Sardinia where the houses were almost stacked one on top of the other the little road between them so you yes. couldn't but miss people coming in and out and walking up and down. there was activity and variety and engagement all okay. of the time all of the time so again yeah. huge so that was one of the things that 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 was noted and that's actually common to all of the blue zones and so are Mediterranean diet which you also spoke about in your Mediterranean book. diet yeah. so yeah. most of the blue zones are predominantly plant Yes. Um, uh, lead diets um, and then apart from Mediterranean I mean people get sick talking about diets and you know they <laughs> change every day but I think a key message which is absolutely solid is Mediterranean diet coupled with low or no sugar low or no salt and no processed foods 
food, absolutely. And going back basically to what our, our ancestors would have done in this country, wouldn't it? You know, yeah. you can. Yeah, yeah that's true. In our busy lives, we have to try, try and do that. And, and the other one in the blue zone, which I, and I don't know if you have any research in this, is have your, your drink at five o'clock in the evening. I couldn't <laughs> tie that in. Well, there was only one, and that's Sardinia, yeah. actually. Yeah. The rest had different. So that was, that section is about uh, de-stressing rituals. So they all, yeah. all of the yeah. blue zones have an daily de-stressing ritual so the Icarians um reflect on and or the Okinawans reflect on ancestors and have brief yeah. ceremonies okay um, the Icarians take a nap yes the Sardinians meet with friends and do have uh, wine at, during those meetings yeah the Lima Loda um community in California pray they're Adventists mm -hmm. and the group in Costa Rica then also uh, socialize in the afternoon with very them. good but they're all rituals with rituals. respect to de-stressing yeah very good. and exercise how how important is that in so your we study? all know exercise matters but i think what the, the the is not realized is how important resistance exercise programs are muscle mm -hmm. building programs yeah. um, and they, they, it becomes more important year on year because we our muscle mass loss and strength mm -hmm accelerates mm -hmm. strength loss accelerates as we get older so i kind of recommend and i try to do this myself to take a little bit more exercise okay. every year after the age of 50 not less more done. Well done. that applies to after the age of 80 do a little bit more again 80 okay. more than you did last year very good and and the i suppose your relationships you talk about but the importance of being in love and being in good relationships it has that been studied good yes the quality of the relationship yeah. matters yeah and yeah. and having sex and and being sexually active actually is also very very good at an at a number of different um hormonal levels mm. and neurological levels and really people who are in satisfying sexual relationships are um happier than, mm -hmm. than, than generally speaking, than, than people who are not. And I suppose that's something we need to bring about in this country, isn't it? We, we particularly talk about it for males, but we don't talk about it for females. Absolutely. I mean, erectile yeah. dysfunction is one of the main problems with respect to men, right? Exactly. And there's Viagra and, yes. you know, but, 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 but for women, um, and, and, you know, mucosal problems, mucosal dryness, dryness for, no for urinary frequency, urinary uh, tract infections, frequency, etc. All of those can be barriers to enjoyment of sexual activity, yet all are treated, are treatable. So okay. so I, I suppose what, one of the things that we discuss is, is, is to encourage people to talk about these issues with their general practitioners. Physicians have no problem speaking about this. No, so no. individuals, I would say should not feel uncomfortable speaking about this and there are things that can be done hormone replacement therapy makes a difference local yeah. uh, estrogen pessaries can make a difference uh, vaginal yeah. pessaries um, and then it, uh, treatments for urinary tract infections can make a difference so mm -hmm. so there are things that we can do and then will help absolutely and the lovely thing about you bringing out this book is you're really opening it up to the public you're educating the public Rosanne and it's so important and and just to highlight these issues is once you change the narrative and you, uh, you bring it out into the open, people start talking and you saw about the GA, how they are so, uh, you know, that you're 250 at that and then you had eight more and, you know, this will really start a whole avalanche because let's face it, we're all living longer nowadays, but we want to know how to do it right 
and how to do it correctly. And and everyone that that affects all of us, doesn't it? Because yeah. it affects our cares, affects our children, everything. Rosanne, for somebody who is a mother, consultant, a wife, uh, overseeing the tilde, a professor in Trinity. How well do you do all these things that you have to do? Uh, well, I'm certainly not the person to be asking that. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, yeah, I'm sure I don't do them well enough um, yeah. by by any manner of means. Uh, I, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, I'd say that the, the house end of things suffers. Definitely. Oh well, you can always you can always get people to do that, and and, yeah. and don't be afraid to ask that. We can't be super at everything, or as Andrew, we can't. Yeah. How often do you meditate yourself? Do you do oh, it? I do it twice a day, twice oh. a day, five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the evening, and I do have a cold shower myself, and I do do resistance training exercises three times a week. I mean, I, I they, they, these things all make me feel much better, and also. Um, they, I think they improve your performance. I think if you're, okay. you know, if you kind of adhere to these simple things and they are simple. I mean, the whole point is none of this is complex. You feel better when you're doing it, but, you, but it's not in a, in a miserable, complicated way. And I think that's why the whole science around friendship and laughter is so important. I mean, how, how great is that, that that makes such a difference? Fantastic. You know, having good friendships and engaging uh, on a, in, in friendships at frequent intervals is as important for our health as stopping smoking and not having high cholesterol. That's a okay. great statistic. It's incredible. And have I read, uh, the, Roseanne, that it's more important for women than men, or is that nonsense? I, I just read. Well, no, you, I think what, what it is, is we assume that men aren't as good Mm -hmm. and quality relationships etc but actually research has looked at this and found that given opportunities men are just as engaged with each other and okay. have the same responsiveness as women okay. it just comes more naturally to women mm -hmm. covid is going to be very interesting now the studies because mm -hmm. the loneliness by, by in the elderly with covid was horrendous it'll be interesting to see what what happens with that yeah, I agree. I mean, again, we were able, fortunate enough to get funding to do COVID studies on the tilde mm. data set. So we had before and after, and I after. can tell you that the loneliness oh, depression increased threefold in people over 50. But, you know, now we know that. Mm -hmm. So really, as a society and as individuals, we should make an effort. And, uh, you know, I, I've spoken to people and they say, oh, I know I really would love to kind of start with friends or get engaged again. But, you know, I'm kind of shy or tentative. And, you know, well, everybody else, everybody is feeling that. So really? if you make the effort, you will make somebody else so happy that you've reached out. OK, very good. Roseanne, how did you what was it in your life and your childhood? You, you've a, you're a great philosophy, you're a great communicator, but you have lovely self-esteem in a very nice way. What, what was the influence? Was it dad, man? What, what caused that? You have a, a good, high self-esteem, which is good. Not every woman has it. That's why I'm asking. Um, hmm. I, I, I haven't I've never thought of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. What can I say to that? Um, I was the eldest of four girls. I think the eldest is sometimes different. You take responsibility. Yeah. I actually did uh, a little bit of drama and acting in school, and I enjoyed that. Always loved debating. Yeah. Always mm -hmm. so. Uh, so I, yeah, I enjoy communication. Do I have self-esteem? Well, I, I, I. It wasn't easy when I was starting off in medicine because there weren't many women. Yes. Who even could be role models, frankly. I remember yes. getting my first consultant job in the United Kingdom in Newcastle and 
going into a lecture theatre and it was a meeting of consultants and I was literally looking down on a sea of grey bald heads. Oh my God. <laughs> there, were no, there were no women in the room. Sake, yes. So, you know, you kind of had to navigate your way through that. Yeah. And, and you now see yourself as a mentor from, from female medical I students. love yeah. younger people. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I really do get pleasure from mm -hmm. trying to help younger people. I think also I'm a mother and I have two boys and, uh, and I watch how uh, their people, some people will mentor them, both of them doing law, by the way, they wouldn't touch medicine. They might change <laughs> postgraduates, might see them down in Limerick, you never know, Rosanne. Well, but, uh, well I, I have no problem with that, but but I, I've noticed, um, a, um, you know, their potential mentors or employers and that some, some are generous of spirit and very good and, oh. and kind, and then others are not. And I yeah. think that makes me acutely aware of my role and my function when I'm working with younger people, because I've seen it myself. Sir, very good. And what drives you? Because you have a great drive in your Zen. Like, it look, I, I think there's another book in you. Like, what drives you to, to do <laughs> this? You know, you just seem to be terribly interested. That's why you're so engaging. You're very interested in what you do. I you care know? about you're it. Passionate. I really care about yeah. this topic. And, yes, yeah. Um, and I, it's fascinating, don't you think? I mean, it's such an Amazing. interesting topic. So it's not yeah. a big challenge, therefore, yes. Um, yes. to to uh, to um, to share it. And also, it matters for every single person that is listening. It matters because mm -hmm. if it doesn't matter, you'll be dead. But all of us, if we're not dead, exactly. will live to a ripe yeah. old age, hopefully. Exactly. And we yeah. want to do it in a way that we really love. I yeah. spoke to somebody today, uh, uh, another professional uh, uh, in another area this morning about something. And it was really interesting. She said to me, she's of Italian extraction. She said, I'm 51 tomorrow. I plan to live for another 50 years. So I've read the book and now I know what I'm going to do about it. She said, I've been very serious about this for a couple of decades and I'm going to continue on this route. And I thought, that's great. good for that's you. Amazing. And do you think, Roseanne, there's another book? Because obviously you've huge research coming out with Tilda. And as you said, yeah. it's a way of, of, you know, bringing it out to the public because that's yeah. what changes narratives yeah. and will change, you know, even change governments and so forth is by... Is, is that that's the way the route? No, no, yeah, and of course there is more on this subject because there's I don't know of any other area that is actually as fast changing. The pace is massive in this area. Um, pharmaceuticals are becoming interested in it now. There, you know, there's a lot big drive on for drugs that will slow the pace of aging, etc. Mm. I have no doubt that we're very, very close to that. In fact, there are some agents already, mm -hmm. um, which which we know work in in that domain so um yeah I, the, the, this is a really fast uh, changing area it's fantastic well you've you told us so much already Roseanne I, I just think it's so powerful I mean we're all so interested in it but I think when you bring it down to a cellular level and a hormonal level we can sort of understand it you know when it's sort of we say yeah. god yeah. you can yeah. put the science with it and therefore yeah. it's, yeah. it's incredible isn't it it's, it's incredible. But um, no, I, I, listen, I think you're brilliant. You're so passionate about everything. It's fantastic. Is there anything else you want to share with us, Rosanna? No, I, I think we've kind of, I think we've mm. kind of covered 
most of the fun of the fun things just yeah. to say that one of the other cellular pathways we didn't touch on which is intricately linked to the yeah. all of the stress pathways and the sort of um insulin and glucose and obesity yeah. pathways of course is inflammation and it's yes. probably the key um everyone's looking for the elixir of youth and what's the one thing in cells that triggers aging and it's common to all cells i think most scientists now aren't entirely confident that there'll be one single answer you know, it's a number of different things, but certainly for a single player, inflammation seems to be a really important role. Absolutely. But as you said, stress is a major cause of that, yes. isn't it? And, yes. and that sort of that whole pathway of what you were talking about with the, yes. with the laughing and the shower and everything, that's all yes. part of calming the yes. whole hormonal, um, isn't it? Love to think endocrinology and geriatrics is so, is so interlinked with the hormones and the whole lot. Yeah. And we've, all, we've always been saying hormones control everything, but it's lovely to see it all tying up, isn't it? That's true. That's very I, true. I yes. think it's fabulous. And, and yes. you know, I, I've always felt that if you educate people about the science which we all grew up with but it's lovely to educate people then they're going to be more adaptive to taking what we're prescribing in terms of either advice diet and also with, with regard to medication it really does help doesn't it that, that it's a new well, way of doing I things kind of owe, uh, owe some of that to ivan yates in a, in a perverse oh, way he was like, he was give, he was interviewing me once and yes. i was, I was and, and he asked a question about some intervention or whatever for for, for whatever we were talking about at the time. And I said to him, well, with clear, clearly um, it's, you know, physical exercise and diet. And he stopped me mid-sentence and says, oh God, not those old chestnuts again. Cannot move off those. And I, and I thought about it afterwards and I thought, right, I am never going to say that again. Yeah. I'm always going to uh, contextualize anything with why and how, mm. not just give a bullet point because I understand that you know it's, yes. it's dull and and we're tired of it and almost, almost immune yes. to those sort of dictates so yeah I think yeah. understanding why and how why yeah and it, it makes sense exactly and it's sort of the new way of teaching medicine isn't it to everyone yeah. it, it is explaining some as opposed to being dictatorial and and on the it's sort of explaining and why and then they understand yes. and then, then they, they know why to do it I think it's it's bringing them with you isn't it yes it's educating them treating them as a, a human being and an intelligent human being and bringing them with you isn't but it also if you understand that then you can kind of modify your behaviors and you know why you're doing it and you know it's 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 a much deeper process at an individual yes. level fantastic Roseanne I think you're a powerhouse of information you're so engaging because you're a brilliant communicator but you're you're so passionate about it you know so much everything I've asked you you don't even have to think about it. it's just fascinating but you're a real leader too for for us women you're fantastic really and truly because it's just wonderful to see uh, you know you've risen to such heights and you know you're such a great mentor and and I think this book is incredible and I hope it's the first of many more so I, I know I really am so proud of you and delighted, of course, to know you, Roseanne. So thank you so much. You're Hi. wonderful. And, and I really do appreciate you giving this time and you've, you've just educated us all so well. So thank you so much, Roseanne. You're very You're welcome. Thank you. Not at all. Thank that. you. Thank you. Thank you.